appreciate the fact that you are making this personal, but you could not imagine the fear that went through me when you said, but Carol Peters. <laughs> I'm so thankful that she was kind in her comments. We were good friends. We still consider Wayne and Carol to be good friends. We did a lot of teasing. Uh, uh, and, and I wasn't sure that there wasn't going to be some of that in there, but certainly thankful that it was kind. Uh, we are glad to be with you. Uh, thankful to Natalie and Kenny for feeding us tonight. Uh, I told Kenny not to get used to that. Uh, it's usually the other way around when we take them and our grandsons out. Uh, you know, Papa is what they pay. But uh, uh, let him do it tonight. I'm very thankful for all the good that you have done and encouragement we've received. And your presence tonight, very much appreciated. You, Some of you come from quite a distance. Thank you for being here and for making this your priority. I'm asking a question tonight. What if there were no Bible? What if not just someone had succeeded as the Freedom From Religion Foundation would love to do and get rid of all the Bibles, but had there never been a Bible? Incidentally, this group, Freedom From Religion Foundation, to be so opposed to religion, they sound a lot like a religion. I went to their website to look, and they, they've got fellowship opportunities, they have an outreach program, and they ask for donations. <laughs> Sounds a lot like a religion. Uh, and yet, they want to be free from religion. Well, that actually, I believe, truth be told, I don't know those people, don't know a whole lot about them other than what I read on their website, but it, it sounds like they just want you to change to their religion. Uh, is my view on that. And I'd be back talking to anybody that's from there if they want to discuss it. But what if their wish were granted? If there were no Bibles anywhere in the world, if there never had been a Bible, what would this world be like? What would life be like? Never thought about that. Because as you read through the Bible, sometimes you just kind of take for granted that it's always been around it. And we, we just are blessed to have it. What if we did? What if all of humanity had never seen a Bible? Well, first of all, there would be no way for us to understand God. We could know that He exists. Paul affirmed that in Romans 1 and verse 20, that, that the invisible things of Him are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. We can look at what is made, and we can know that God is. We can know His eternal power and His Godhead. That's the limit of what we can know about God without the Bible, without Him revealing Himself to us in a special way. Nature is general revelation. The Bible, we call it special revelation. God revealed Himself to us in a special way. Think about what that would be like. To know that there's a God, but then how would I know, how would I determine when it's Him doing something and, and when it's just happenstance doing something? Well, that's where our word happy comes from. The idea of happenstance. Uh, people that are having it pretty good, they consider themselves to be happy. Uh, I've got good circumstances, so that's a good happenstance. I'm happy then. Well, 
happenstance, whatever, what my circumstances could be, what sometimes my circumstances are in this life, would be hard to understand. How would I know? If something really bad happened, is that God punishing me? How would I ever know that? If something really good happened, well, did God do that? If something that's enjoyable, but the rest of the world can kind of frown on it and say, you shouldn't be doing that? How would I know if it's enjoyable whether or not God wants me to do that or not? To enjoy that thing or not? How would I know this is from God, this is not? I would not be able to understand that. Now, now you know with the Bible you can understand that. I can look at my life and I can know. No, just because I'm having an easy time of it doesn't mean that it's God giving me those things. When I'm having a tough time of it, then it's God punishing me. In our Bibles now, we can understand. You take your Bible, you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, and you can understand. If we didn't have this passage, brothers, sisters, and friends, Life would be tough to comprehend. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says, But there had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. God is faithful. Here's something about God in my life. God in my life, I know God is faithful. He is loyal to his children. He is loyal to those that love Him. Romans 8, verse 28. Talk about that passage some other time. But here in 1 Corinthians 10, and verse 13, He tells us now, the troubles, the trials, the tests that you are enduring right now, the things that might seem not good. Well, uh, just about everybody's going through some of that. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Because we live on this planet, we all have some of the same troubles. Now, God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And James said, when you fall into divers' temptations, that's, again, test or trials, count it all joy, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience or endurance. I read passages like that, and I say, okay, I can understand it. Just because something bad happened doesn't mean that it's punishment for something that I did. And something bad happened to me does not mean God's cut me off and God doesn't care. That's what Job's friends tried to get him to believe. But now if we didn't have our Bibles, we couldn't understand that. We wouldn't know that. Life would be awfully hard to handle. I would be thinking, well, God's just followed me around and, and every now and then throws down a lightning bolt just to give me some problems, you know. Kind of like the, the Greek myth, uh, mythological gods. They were that way. They were just arbitrary and did whatever they wanted to, according to the Greeks, but those weren't real gods. But the God of the Bible, he has taken time to let us know some of the reasons that we have trouble in life. Some of those reasons are because we're trying to do what's right. Second Timothy chapter two, uh, 3, verses uh, 12 and 13. 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul is looking at life as a Christian. He said that. All, yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus. 
Oh, Lord, just wait for that next part, Paul. What are you going to tell us? Shall suffer persecution. But now, verse 13, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I can understand life when I look at that. I can understand that that's what's going on in this world. There are some bad people who like to cause good people problems. I didn't have the Bible. How hard it would be to get through life with a sound mind. To get through life knowing that God still cares for me even when there are tough times in my life. And I know James 1.17 is most comforting. If I didn't have James 1.17, I might misinterpret things. I might think I've done something really good because there are a lot of good things in my life. No. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable to see the shadow of turn. If I've got it good, it's because God is giving me what is good. It's his blessing. It's his gifts. I'm thankful to him for every good thing, every good circumstance I enjoy in this life. Everything that is intrinsically good certainly has come from him. And incidentally, Amos 3 verse 7 is another passage. Now it's been misused. I know of a, a fellow in a religious group that could be called a cult, but a religious group it's very fanatical about their belief system that they think that their leader actually had a vision being transported to heaven and, and saw something in heaven that made her think that the fourth commandment in the Old Testament is still sacred. Uh, she saw a halo of the fourth commandment. Uh, well, and they claim this passage, but I'm going to tell you what they claim and what this passage actually says are not related. Amos 3 verse 7 tells us that God will do nothing except he revealeth it to his prophets. God is going to let us know when he is doing something uh, definite, specific in history, in the uh, life of the people on earth. When God is acting, God says, I'm acting. I want you to know it's me doing that in a definitive way. So don't worry that a hurricane or a tornado or whatever a natural disaster might take place. Well, is that God doing that? No, God, God's not operating on that basis. He, he set this world up so that it could be self-maintained, uh, self-contained and self-maintaining so that we could have summer, winter, heat and cold, uh, seed time and harvest. That's what he told Noah at the end of Genesis chapter 8. Uh, that's never going to stop as long as the earth is standing. Uh, that'll keep happening. Well, some of those weather things happen because God set the world up that way. But right, if I didn't know that, I would wonder about God. Right, God's just an angry, contrary God sometimes who would think, no, that's not true. And what about people who claim that they are doing God's service by killing someone else. Are they telling the truth? Those folks who claim that and if you are an unbeliever and infidel, then they have the authority from heaven uh, just to cut your head off. If you don't accept their belief system, well, they will terminate you. They have God's approval on that. If I didn't have a Bible, they claim they've got one. 
But if I didn't have a Bible, I wouldn't know for sure whether or not they were telling the truth. But I do have a Bible. And, and my Bible says, first of all, uh, that in First John chapter 1 and verse 5, this then is the message that we, the apostles, heard of him, Jesus. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Interesting word, no at all. That's one word in the original language. It's a compound word that means not even one. Not even one bit of darkness in God. No evil, no wrong, no bad in God. God does not authorize evil. That is intrinsic evil. God does not do that which is not good and not right. I've got a Bible that tells me that in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, uh, let us love one another for love is of God. That's the source of it. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Notice that connection, love and God. It came from Him. And when we love one another like God wants us to, we're being like Him. Now the next verse says, He that loveth not. And I just suppose if I feel like I've got a right to cut your head off because we disagree, that, that that's not love. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Now that's the God of the Bible. James 1 and verse 13. The same idea. That no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Don't say that. Because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. God is a perfectly consistent perfectly righteous, moral God. And He wants us to be the same, to be like Him. If I didn't have my Bible, I wouldn't know what to think about those folks, about those situations. But because I've got a Bible, I know when people act like that in the world, and when things happen to people in the world, I know Second Peter 2 verse 9 tells me that the Lord knoweth how to keep the wicked. He knows how to keep the wicked reserved in chains unto the day of punishment, judgment. He's got those people who need to be punished waiting to be punished. He's appointed a day in which he will do that. Acts 17.30, and we'll talk about that later on. Notice God knows how to take care of the situations we encounter this in this life. Uh, he is going to resolve those situations where you've got bad people doing bad things to good people. And He's going to resolve that. He's appointed folks to keep, keep that in check right now, Romans 13, uh, 1 through 5. But, you know, He knows how to take care of everyone of those questions that I might have about how people behave in this world. I can understand God. The good news is, because I do have a Bible. If I didn't, I could not understand God. Now, hang on, stay with me, because the rest of the points are not going to be that long. If there were no Bible, 
moral questions would go unanswered. There wouldn't be answers to moral questions. Again, I could know about God by looking at the world, but I wouldn't know without his revelation just exactly what he was behind and, and what someone else might be behind and causing. I wouldn't know about good and evil in the fullest sense without God letting me know that in his word. Take, for example, the question of Jesus, Matthew 19. Here, here come these Pharisees. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Remember how Jesus answered that there in verse 4? Have you not read? Well, they had their Old Testament scriptures. They could read in those Old Testament scriptures. That's not what God wanted. Now, Jesus went all the way back to Genesis 2 when he did that. So he went, he said, just flip back to the beginning, get the, get the first leaf of your scroll or whatever there, your copy of the Old Testament, and look at it. Because there it says in Genesis 1, 26, 29, uh, that God made man in his image after his own likeness. He made them male and female. Male and female created he them. Have you not read that he that made them at the beginning, chapter 2, verse 7, and following, uh, 17, rather, of uh, Genesis 2, that he made them at the beginning, made them male and female, saying, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, but therefore God had joined together, let not man put us up. If I didn't have my Bible, I wouldn't know the answer to that question. Jesus said, that's the answer to your question. God did not design divorce. God designed marriage. God does not desire divorce. In fact, he hates it. Malachi chapter 2, verse 18. He allows it. And in that chapter, Matthew 19, he said, here's the exception. Whosoever putteth away his wife, except for the cause of fornication, and marrieth another, Whoso putteth away his wife, or uh, whoso marrieth her, rather than is put away, doth commit adultery. You've got that statement from Jesus. But if I didn't have my Bible, I wouldn't know the first part or the second part of that. And somebody's thinking, well, now, nah, preacher, don't be so bad. You know, I mean, uh, don't you think after a while you get tired of being with the same woman? But some guys would say, yeah, I, got, I relate to that. I, I get your message. Yes, sir. I understand. In fact, I, I, I might want to trade, you know, the old saying, when I get to be 40, trade my 40 in on two twenties. And, of course, that's what the wife says that. Honey, you're not wired for two twenties. Uh, you, you can't handle that. Uh, some guys want to try, you know. And they had me. Okay, if there were no Bible, I would anybody say that's wrong. And what about the guys who think, well, that sounds like it might be a pretty good idea until the guy down the road decides he likes your wife. And he thinks she is prettier than the one he has. And so he's going to trade the one he has in for yours. What are you going to do about that? I think there is no right or wrong because there is no understanding of what's right and wrong because God hasn't made it known. If there is no Bible, moral questions go unanswered. Now here's where the folks of the mindset of the Freedom from Religion Foundation, the 
the true humanist in this world who say, hey, God's the problem. Just let us have this world for ourselves, and we'll do all right. Man is the answer to all of his troubles, so says the humanist. Okay? Answer that. Uh, what are you going to do when the guy comes and takes your wife? And she goes along. She says, okay, I'll try this for a while. How would that be? I'm thinking most of us wouldn't like that. But if there were no standard of right and wrong, and friends, brothers, and sisters, this is the universal standard of right and wrong right here. This is the code that God gave from heaven to let us know what's right and what's not. Here's the answer to our moral questions. If it weren't for that, we would be wandering around with a life full of confusion. Uh, why is this okay, but that not okay? Incidentally, bringing it back to reality, there was an interview that I read. I've forgotten the woman's name now, but she's from Russia. She moved to the United States. She was one of the main spark plugs uh, in the agenda, the gay rights agenda, to get homosexual marriage ordained by our government. And in the interview, they asked her, what's your real goal? She said, my real goal, our real goal, is no marriage at all. We, we just want to confuse the issue. Because if two men can be married to each other, two women can be married to each other, really, that's not the, the ultimate thing that we're after. What we're really after is no guidelines at all. Nothing right or wrong at all. If I want to leave whomever and live with whomever, that's what we ought to be allowed to do without anybody raising an eyebrow or saying anything in a negative way about it. That's the goal. Now, not everyone is like that. Not everyone would own up to that. But truth be told, that's the core, that's the heart of that movement that just got us a few years ago the problem that we now have regarding marriage in this country. Homosexual marriage. Who's to say what's right and what's wrong? If there's no Bible, I can't know. You, you hear these folks who are of that persuasion, uh, who want to have it their way, no religion, and what I say is good is good, and, and what I say is wrong is wrong, and, and that's it. Well, who died and made you the standard, right? Who, who appointed you to be the authority? If there isn't a Bible, a revealed moral standard, then you can't say this is actually good. If there is no God who made us, who is a good being, an all good, all light being, then there's no way you can tell me that something's truly intrinsically good or truly intrinsically bad. You have no moral standard for that because you have no moral creator. Therefore, you're just dirt. Fancy dirt. Dirt that's moving. That's what you are if there is no God. If God has not made his will known, then we can't say, I know good from evil, right from wrong. But now, friends, he has, and we can. Now, number three. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be 
hungry souls would be unfed if there were no Bible. Those people starving, searching for understanding of themselves, understanding of their purpose, understanding of their futures. If there were no Bible, they wouldn't have any clue, no idea where to go with that. Jeremiah 10 verse 23 would have no, no explanation. When Jeremiah said, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in him. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. I wouldn't know where to go after that next step. I, I would, if I can't order my own steps, I, I wouldn't know what to do. Jeremiah speaking the truth, but now help me. What, what do I do now? If I understand that, what do I do now? Don't have an answer if I don't have the revealed Word of God. Now, I might have some uh, stray uh, oriental religion that might tell me that I need to meditate and find myself. Uh, Solomon talked about that man that went searching for himself, you know. Uh, well, I'd have no answers. I would not be able to fill that void in me that's seeking for that answer, that longing to know why I'm here, what I'm supposed to be doing. I recall and I probably told you this when, when we lived here the first time. But I was a student at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. And I had just gotten real serious about my spiritual life. And about that same time, I started taking biology at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. And my biology teacher was at least an agnostic, if not an atheist. And he boldly proclaimed to the class, he said, I believe that I have discovered the purpose of human life. With a straight face, he said, the purpose of human life is to create carbon dioxide so that plants can go through photosynthesis. Wouldn't that be great for your, your child, your, your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter to be told that that's your purpose for existence? You're here so that you can help the plants grow because you take in oxygen, but you produce carbon dioxide. Those plants take that carbon dioxide and through photosynthesis, they, they get nourishment and, and they also produce oxygen. And so it's a symbiotic relationship. That's why you're here. If I didn't have a Bible, I might believe that. If I didn't have a Bible, I might not know Micah's answer to Jeremiah's dilemma. Micah said in Micah 6 and verse 8, He had showed the old man what is good. And what would the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? That's an Old Testament summary statement about what we're here, what we're all about, what God's looking for in us. Why are you here? 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 says, whether you eat or drink. Now you think about what the context is there. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ultimately, that's why I'm here. That's why the church is here, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, to bring glory to God. You can only give proper glory to God if you're in the church, and that's the point of Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, but your purpose in life, you exist so that you can glorify God. And help other people learn to do the same. Solomon said, you want a full life? 
I've searched for it, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I've looked under every nook and cranny, every activity, humanly possible. I have tried it. Everything in this world that people say makes you feel worthwhile, useful, and important in this world. I've done it all, and here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Dear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole of man. Young's literal transla uh, translation says. That word do is not actually in the Hebrew text. It's in the King James translation. The whole of man. Your God keep his commandments. That'll make you complete as a person. There won't be a hole inside if you will follow that Old Testament sage advice with a New Testament application. By the way, the next verse in Ecclesiastes 12 says, For God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or bad. You see, that's my future. I'm going to meet that judgment someday. And if I feared God and kept His commandments, it's going to be a happy reunion. It's going to be a good time. I wouldn't know that if it weren't for my Bible. My purpose and my future, according to Paul, would just be biological. You ever thought about that? In a debate with uh, an atheist some years ago, Kyle Lutt was asked the question, uh, what is spirit? And I thought immediately, that's the highest level of existence. But the man he was debating was chiding that idea. Everything's physical. Everything's chemical. You exist because of ideal chemical combinations in this earth, and, and it produced life. No, that's not the best form of existence. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, the Apostle Paul said, This is it. And why did I fight with those beasts at Ephesus? And he didn't mean literally. He wasn't thrown in a lion's den, I don't believe. But he did fight with some spiritual beasts. Remember Ephesians 6, he talked about our, our mission in this world is to stand up against uh, wickedness in high places. That's what he was doing in Ephesus. And, and he said, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. Why did I do that? If in this life only we have hope, let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. There's some folks that are living like that's the case. They're, they're living for the here and the now, right now. Paul said, that's what you ought to do if this is not true. If there is no resurrection, if God has not made his will known, if there is no hope for the future, then yes. Your future, uh, your purpose is all physical. But that's not the case. God's told us, no I've got something better for you. And in fact, I've prepared a place for you. I want you to come and meet with me. And that's kind of the last thought here in this lesson. If there were no Bible, our greatest issue would be unresolved. There would be no answer to the question that, that the disciples went on and asked in Matthew 19, verse 25, when Jesus talked about how hard it was for a rich man to go to heaven. They, they said, who then can be saved? If there were no Bible, I couldn't answer that question. I couldn't know. Friends, the, the guilt of sin is not resolved 
by ignoring the guilt. I saw that bumper sticker in Chattanooga years ago. It said, are you feeling guilty? You're probably Catholic. <laughs> Picking at religion, you know. No, if you're guilty, you probably did something wrong. <laughs> Isn't that the case? If you're guilty, you're probably Romans 3.23 in reality. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That produces guilt. When I transgress the law of God, that sin, 1 John 3, verse 4, I'm going to feel some guilt. God doesn't want me to feel guilty unless I need to. If I haven't let him take care of my sin, I need to feel guilty. I need to bear that burden of guilt until it moves me to ask the question, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Just like Saul did in Acts 9, verse 6, and as he repeats it again in chapter 22, he asks that same question, what, what will you have me to do, Lord? If I didn't have my Bible, I would not know that there is an answer. I want to go back to the passage as we conclude now. The passage that really was the thought of our start here. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul, and his statement ought to be our statement, said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now that's not the end of that passage. That's not the end of the thought there. Here's the hope of salvation. It is the gospel. Here is the means of salvation. It is the gospel. Notice the next thing he says. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Are we talking about tonight? God revealing himself to man in the Bible. If he hadn't done that, I wouldn't know what I need to know about him, about life, and certainly about salvation. But here it is. It's been given. I do know it. Here is the revelation of God that tells me what I need to do to be saved. Here is that message that God wants me to have. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That faith to faith thing, that's one believer telling someone else about the gospel and they become a believer. Now, a believer in the book of Romans is not faith only. Just back up in this same chapter, verse 5, and notice. Paul's explaining why he's writing this book, why he is an apostle. And he's speaking of God and the Spirit and of Christ. He says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Obedience to the faith. That ties right in with another passage in Romans. And we look at this, we're going to be done with our study tonight, won't we? Think? Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. Some people stop, stop with verse 13 in Romans 10, but I want to start there. Because that's where Paul is talking about uh, what can be known about Jesus. It's what you can know about Jesus. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
Well, that's the, the process in reverse, is it not? Calling on the name of the Lord is a result of what? Believing. Well, how did I become a believer? I heard the gospel. How did I do that? Somebody came and preached the gospel to me. As it is written, verse 15, uh, how shall they preach, rather, except they be sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, hold on right there. Reflect on what we just read in Romans 1, 5. Paul was given this mission as an apostle for the obedience to the faith. I can call on the name of the Lord after I believe. Calling on the name of the Lord is not believing, that is. It's something that follows that. Well, here's what it is, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. Belief in the book of Romans is never faith alone unless it's the kind of faith that won't save you. The faith that will save you in the book of Romans is faith that obeys. Faith that does what God said to do in order to be saved. If I didn't have my Bible, I wouldn't know that. When I've got my Bible, and I can read it so plainly, I should never tell anyone, just believe and then pray to Jesus. Calling on the name of the Lord in that passage does not mean praying to Jesus. It means obey the gospel, just like Paul said he was told to do in Acts 22 and verse 16. And now, why tarryest thou? Arise and be baptized. Notice that. Arise, be baptized, wash away thy sin. Those two things are taking place together. And what else is going on when I arise and I'm baptized and I wash away my sins? Calling on the name of the Lord. 